You are listening to audio from Harvest Church, located in Fogelsville, Pennsylvania. We are so glad you are joining us today. If you would like to know more about Harvest Church, connect with us online at myharvestchurch.com. And now for today's sermon. Harvest Church, it's so good to be with you. We're continuing this series titled Harvest, recognizing not only all of the growth that has happened here uh, uh, at Harvest Church, but also looking forward to what God is calling us to. And today, the topic that I felt the Lord kind of placed on my heart as we uh, go through this series talking about the various things that are going to define us as a church culture. A culture, of course, it's not something that you often see labeled on the wall, but a culture is something that you feel. It's something that you sense. And so when people come into Harvest Church, we have to ask the question, like, what is our culture? And one of the uh, uh, components of the culture that I believe that, that Jesus is leading us to is that we will be a culture of growth. And today, I'm not talking about numerically. What I'm talking about is our individual personal spiritual growth in Jesus, in your spiritual life, in your faith, in your relationship with Jesus, in your worship, in the giftings that God has given you, that kind of growth. You know, there, there was a, a time in ministry where I had a, a, a misunderstanding. Would you like to know what that misunderstanding was? When I first went into ministry as a young pastor, fresh out of seminary, I had this misunderstanding, I had this perception that everyone who gathered in this sanctuary on a Sunday wanted to grow. I had this idea that, and this is kind of what motivated me as a young pastor and broke my heart. When I first went into ministry, I thought that we all gathered here in the sanctuary on Sunday to recognize our flaws so that we can work through them with God's help and become more like him. I thought that when we gathered as a sanctuary that this place would represent brokenness because sometimes for God to get you to where he's leading you, he has to break some things off of us first. That's why he is so good with being the potter and we are the clay. And I had this perception that as we gathered here on Sunday, that it was a universal feeling that that we wanted more, that we wanted to go further in our relationship with Jesus, that we wanted to grow deeper in our roots, that we wanted to come to to more biblical understanding, that, that we wanted to work through those trials that we sometimes have with brothers and sisters in Christ, because how many of you know that siblings fight? Some of y'all haven't talked to your siblings in years. And I thought that when we gathered as a church that that we would want to work through some of those relational tendencies because the reality is, is that we're all different, so we're going to have differences. And as a young pastor, I came to the realization that there are many Christians in churches simply because they want to be around like-minded people. In recent years, many have gathered in churches across America because of political alignment over alignment with the resurrected Savior. Many gather in church because they are just trying to make their spouse happy. Some resist growth because of an unfortunate self-righteous attitude that truly believes that they are immune to mistakes or that they carry the belief that no one can surpass their giftings. Some resist growth because the reality is this, growth requires change. You cannot remain the same and experience growth. Growth and change are synonymous. They go hand in hand, just like change and Jesus are synonymous. I cannot remain the same when I experience Jesus. And there's many reasons why there are even some here today that won't ever experience growth in their life. But make no mistake that Jesus designed the church to be the catalyst for growth. The body of Christ, us, we're designed to grow. We're designed to change and become more like him. Jesus designed the church to grow, to reach others, to experience real life transformation, to undergo such transformational growth that they are referred to in scripture as a completely new creation, unrecognizable to the old them. 
Jesus was so passionate about growth that he warned us. He said, listen, I, I, I am the vine, and, and, and if you aren't growing, if, the, if you are like fruit on the vine and you're not bearing fruit, you're like that branch. He says, if I don't see spiritual growth in your life, then I'm going to have to cut you off. That was sweet, non-confrontational Jesus, by the way. Are we growing? Pastor, I'm in church every Sunday. Yes, you've heard sermons. Are you living them? Are you growing? Pastor, I have a lot of Christians, friends. Yes, you have a lot of friends, but do you know the one true friend, Jesus? And are you growing? The Word of God teaches us that Jesus calls all of us to grow. We are invited into this process of radical transformational growth, becoming stronger in Christ, growing in biblical understanding, where we know and see God in a new way each and every day that revolutionizes the way that we live life, growing in a way that we are also pouring into other people's lives, growing and gaining a new Holy Spirit-empowered skill set as Christians, and these skill sets help us to be better spouses, impactful parents, and bold disciples. This is a part of our vision as Harvest Church. The vision is that Harvest Church would be a place where growth occurs but is not contained here. Are we growing? When it comes to transformational growth, I believe that we've got to talk about one disciple in particular. He's the disciple that I believe so embodies many of us here today that we can align ourselves with. Sometimes he gets it right, sometimes not so much. Sometimes he asks really good questions, other times not so much. Sometimes he steps out in faith and it's amazing, and then sometimes his zeal for Jesus gets him in trouble. Peter is arguably one of the greatest turnaround leaders in the New Testament aside from Paul. Peter is the same man who promised Jesus, no matter what, I will align myself with you and, and I will stick with you by your side. I will not deny you like these other disciples. And then he's recognized and becomes a coward and denies Jesus three times. Peter went through such transformational growth that he experienced a turnaround that later that same coward would go on to proclaim the name of Jesus and preach in the streets and be a catalyst for the first generation church. God used Peter in such a powerful way that he used Peter in the launching of the first ever church. The first 12 chapters of the book of Acts are uniquely including Peter, and we read that Peter would be the first pastor that the church would know, and he would grow in that leadership, and there's something special about Peter that would lead God to using him in ways that he didn't use the other disciples. A hard reality that you and I have a difficult time understanding is that Jesus did not treat everyone the same. He didn't. He had his 12, but then he had his three. Then he had his one. What was it about Peter, James, and John that Jesus would see something in their lives that would cause him to say, hey, I have my group of 12 that I'm investing into, but there's something in your life out of you three that I want to pull you aside frequently and spend a disproportionate amount of time investing into your life over the others. What was it about their lives that caused Jesus to look at Peter? Peter! You're going to include Peter on the A-team? He should be on the Z team. And Jesus looks at Peter, the same man who would deny him three times and says, Peter, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. What was it about Peter that caught the attention of our Lord and Savior that our Lord and Savior said, you're worth investing in? 
an example of how Jesus went from the 12 to the threes. In Mark chapter 9, it says, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a higher mountain where they were all alone. And there he was transfigured before them. Jesus was constantly gathering these three around. Why? I believe that Jesus saw the heart. Deductive reasoning from a scriptural perspective would allow us to come to this understanding that Jesus saw the heart of these men, and he saw that their hearts were desiring to grow and know him and experience him more. We see the fruit of their hearts wanting to grow throughout scripture. For example, what are some lessons that we can learn from Peter that would open our lives up to be used by Jesus in a greater way? Is there anyone else here today that you desire to be used by Jesus in a greater capacity? Amen, church? Isn't that our life goal? To empty ourselves out so that we can be filled again? And then the process repeats and the world is changed and the gospel message is furthered. Anybody else here today? Come on, somebody. So we have to ask the question, what was it about their hearts that led them to grow more in Jesus? Well, first, uh, forgive me for stating the obvious here today, but scripturally we see this. Growth begins with desire. I'm really, I got to be honest, I'm not sure how to get us to square one. I think that this is where the Holy Spirit, he's got to do what he can only do because I can't instill that desire into your heart. It just doesn't make sense to me. I can't mentally comprehend that you and I have the opportunity to grow in, in Jesus and, and we don't desire that. Like that, that I just, I can't mentally comprehend that, you know, atheists often require proof of God's existence and you and I have the opportunity to, to live out that proof and carry his presence with us. Why wouldn't we want to live that kind of life that so many who don't believe in Jesus demand? Growth begins with desire. Friend, I have to, can, I, can I be blunt this morning? I'm, I'm feeling a little bit bold. Is that okay? It's rude to laugh. Rude. Like, why would we even come to church if we don't have a desire to grow? I just don't get it. In their scripture that says that like someday, like if you and I are just here kind of existing and putting our relationship with Jesus on the shelf and just kind of like, well, you know, I'm just trying to get to heaven. And that's as far as our goals are without the understanding that you're not called to get to heaven. You're called to live for him. And there's scripture that says that like you, like if you and I have that kind of mentality, yeah, before we're welcomed into the, the kingdom of heaven, we're going to be so close to hell that we can see the fire in his eyes. I just don't understand why thousands, arguably millions, arguably hundreds of millions, gather around in churches every Sunday across our nation and even our world, and there's no desire for change and growth. Growth begins with desire. Do you want to experience Jesus? You have to have a desire for him. Throughout Peter's life with Jesus, he's constantly showing the fruit of having a heart that desires more. As we've just mentioned, and I'm going to show some examples through a few different scriptures that Peter's always asking questions and he's asking questions with a pure heart. The Pharisees asked Jesus questions to try and trick him. Don't, don't be like the Pharisees in that. And we often, we often get really close to that mentality, don't we, in our arrogance? Well, Jesus, if this is your will, then you're going to do this. Or why wouldn't you? Has anybody else struggled with that? I'm raising my hand, by the way. How many of you know that sometimes we can be our own worst enemy? Anybody else? Come on. But Peter's asking questions out of a pure heart that, that genuinely, he's not trying to trip up the Lord. He's, he's trying to understand the Lord. We've been there. 
There's an evident theme in Peter's life that he wanted to know more about Jesus, that he wanted to understand kingdom principles. He wanted to grow closer to Jesus, and there's an evidence that he wanted to be used by Jesus. And Peter's found frequently asking questions that, that lead to his growth. Like, like here in Luke chapter 12, verse 41, it says this, And Peter said to him, Lord, are these words said to us only or to all men? And that's Peter saying like, God, are, are you just investing into us as disciples? Or are these universal truths for like the, the body of Christ at large? And then Peter asks Jesus a question, trying to understand the life that Jesus is calling them to. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 21, it says this, Then came Peter to him and said, and, and can't can't you hear the biblical tone? Here comes Peter again. And that's just kind of the theme of, of Peter is he's like your three or four year old toddler. Why? And that's Peter coming to Jesus. Peter, it's and then Peter came to him. Here comes Peter and said to the Lord, how often shall brother sin against me and I forgive him till seven times. And again, in this moment, Peter's trying to make sense of a new covenant. And notice in one of the most famous stories about Peter, him getting out of the boat to walk on water, we often look at Jesus calling out to Peter first, but notice that in scripture, Peter is eager to put himself out there into the test to see if it is the Lord Jesus who appears before them. Yes, Jesus calls uh, Peter to him, but notice that Peter had a hunger to intentionally move towards Jesus. Matthew chapter 14, verse 28, it says this, and Peter answered to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come out onto the water. Sometimes Jesus is simply waiting for us to ask church. And then Peter intentionally gets out of the boat to be with Jesus, and most of us know how that turns out. But it's no wonder that Jesus spent more time with Peter because it's evident that Peter had a desire to grow. Do you and I have that same desire? Are you and I inquisitive enough to be asking Jesus about biblical truths and how we can apply them with a pure heart that is intending to put his words into action and not put his words to test out of arrogance? Do you and I have that kind of desire to be used by Peter? Because here's the reality, church, that when you and I have that desire, it postures us for reason revival. When we have that desire to say, God, I just want to know you more. I just want to grow in you. I just want to put myself aside and, and come to know you and spend time with you. Do you and I have that kind of desire that would open up our lives to the work of Jesus to take place in a whole new way? Motivation is rooted in desire, and Peter has the desire to grow in Jesus, which is why he is used by Jesus more. Some of us never grow simply because the desire isn't there to grow. Why have the desire? Why should I put forth an, an effort into my relationship with Jesus? So the question again is, is why grow in Christ? And I would like to just throw out a couple reasons why you and I should be very passionate about growing in Jesus. Why grow in, in Christ? Well, growing in Christ opens the door for God to fulfill purposes through our life. Purpose is one of the human conditions that is lacking without Jesus. Have you noticed? There is a hunger for purpose. There is such a hunger for purpose that years ago, if you remember, Pastor Rick Warren of the Saddleback Church came out with this book called A Purpose. Millions of copies sold. In the first couple of weeks, I believe it was upwards of 60 million copies, just like that. Why? Because humanity is craving purpose. We were created to crave purpose. That's why we find it in Jesus. Our world searches for purpose, a meaning to life. And at the end of our lives, the number one thing that we will be concerned about isn't the money that we have, isn't the things that we have attained. The number one thing that we will be concerned about on our deathbed is did we lead a purposeful life? Those that grow in Christ do not experience the same deathbed as those who didn't grow in Christ. Growing in Jesus ushers in the blessings of God into your life, yes, but more importantly, a life growing in Christ welcomes the purposes of God to be fulfilled. Why grow in Christ? Because those who desire growth aren't stopped in life by failure. 
I want to say that again because our world right now is obsessed with failure. Have you noticed the smear campaigns? Good night, I hate politics. Come on, somebody. There, you cannot tell me that there are political debates anymore. It is a smear campaign. Can I get a witness? My goodness. It's like watching children fight. You tell them, hey, don't do this. Yeah, well, he, I'm not talking about he, I'm talking about you. <sighs> Forgive me for that. Our world is obsessed with pointing out the failures of others as if failures stop people. But when you grow in Jesus, failure is a catalyst for his purpose. If you have that desire to grow in Jesus, failure is no longer a stronghold on your life. And that doesn't mean that we get foolish and abuse his grace. Amen? But it means that we, and I love this term that I've recently heard, fail forward. We'll discuss this principle more in a little bit. But when you have committed yourself and have that desire to grow in Jesus, failures and shortcomings are moments of learning opportunities. What would your life look like if failures and mistakes had no hold on your life? Why grow in Christ? Because growing people grow people. It's discipleship. Growing people grow people. How many of you have ever felt what it's like to perform an act of kindness and bless someone else? Interact with me a little bit, church. Come on now. Doesn't it feel awesome? Like you just feel like feel something fuzzy inside and you get this warm feeling and you're like man it's kind of like I was created to serve or something <laughs> growing people experience that feeling with Jesus every day that's discipleship that you're pouring into others growing people aren't reservoirs they are rivers and God will often only give to you what will flow through you. There is nothing like being used by God to impact someone else's life. Nothing can compare to it. Why grow in Christ? Because growing people are used by God to change the world. Did my life matter is a, I'm telling you as a pastor who has stood next to the deathbed of many people, the most haunting question often asked by those who put zero effort into growing in Jesus is the haunting question, did my life matter? For those who are growing in Christ, you see the fruit of changed lives and hearts around you and there is no doubt. And once we have the desire to grow, to put an intentional effort into growing in Christ, Jesus desires and calls us that we put forth an intentional effort. How many of you know that desire doesn't get you anywhere? Desire is what stirs, it stirs your heart up before you take the first step. If you and I have desire, it's kind of like, have you ever heard this saying, the road to hell is paved with you could replace that with good desires. Desire has to be met with action. Growth must be an intentional effort. Friends, growth doesn't happen by chance or coincidence. Growth happens through action steps and intentional effort. Peter asked questions. Peter spent time with Jesus. He stepped out in faith. He surrendered to Jesus. He sought the Holy Spirit. After all, he was one of the ones who waited in the upper room and prayed for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That is a very intentional action step. 
This is an intentional life in pursuit of Jesus. So where do we start with an intentional growth, Pastor? Yes, making an intentional effort, but make sure that you make a commitment to grow in Jesus. When you and I gave our hearts to Jesus for the first time, when we said this sinner's prayer, what you and I were not committing to a life in eternity, what we were doing is committing a life in pursuit of him. In that moment, you and I were making a commitment. We weren't just saying, Lord, I recognize that you've prepared a place for me in heaven. You and I were raising our hands and committing to Jesus saying, I am committed to grow in my relationship with you. Let's say you have desire. That's great. Now it's time to put intentional action steps behind that desire. Make a commitment means that it is set as a priority to be eager to learn and apply God's word to your life. Commitment to grow means that you're willing to sacrifice. Would you say that word sacrifice? Ready? One, two, three. Sacrifice. Sacrifice. In order to maintain or attain your commitment. Commitment means that you make a priority to parent in a Christ-like manner, to love your spouse in a Christ-like manner. Commitment to Jesus means that you're committed to having friendships and relationships where you can guide those relationships and friendships in a Christ-like manner. If you would turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. It's a passage written by, look at you Bible scholars. What's so intriguing about this is that this passage, 1 Peter chapter 1, we're going to stick towards the beginning, is a passage written by Peter towards the end of his life. Peter, leading up to this chapter in 1 Peter chapter 1, Would you do this with me? Would you consider all that Peter has gone through before we read this chapter? Peter has been through so much. He's, of course, again, denied Jesus three times. And then Peter walks away from his calling and returns to the lifestyle of a full-time fisherman. Then there's this beautiful moment where Jesus, the risen Savior, calls Peter again into ministry. And Peter confesses his commitment to Jesus three times. Jesus, after his ascension, leaves the disciples to do ministry, that he was doing the same ministry that Jesus was doing here on earth. And Peter, by this point in the passage, has come to understand and experience the Holy Spirit empowerment of ministry and the challenges that come with this gifting as others learn to navigate it. Peter has gone through so many challenges and persecutions and imprisonment, not just from the world, but he also has gone through the challenges and trials of navigating church growth. Those growing in Christ, for example, we read scriptural passage after scriptural passage. Paul deals with these different challenges of of Christians who still want to hold on to ungodly lifestyles while being Christians. And then Peter also has dealt with the challenges of dealing with self-righteous attitudes where somebody wants to bring a religious spirit into a relationship with Jesus and they are incompatible. You can only have one or the other. Those that would rather be self-righteous and condemn others and justify these actions by thinking of themselves as more loving to God and more committed. He's experienced these challenges compiled on top of other ones trying to grow others that do not want to grow. Have you ever tried to pour into someone's life that didn't want poured into? Parents. You're lying. And grandparents, yes. Peter has a past, don't we all? Of giving up or dropping the ball. And with all of these challenges that I just listed in this passage towards the end of Peter's life, does he say, that's it, I've had enough, I can't do it? Which, can we admit something for a moment? Can we admit that it would have been fair and understandable if Peter would have thrown in the towel given all that he's gone through? If you say, no, pastor, I can't admit that, then friend, like I've got to ask the question, how many times have you been thrown in prison for Jesus? Like it would have been understandable in our human condition to say, man, this guy has sacrificed a lot. I think that he's earned retirement, that he can just kind of set down the calling and just kind of coast for the rest of his life. And 
does Peter in this letter tell the church, hey, just so you know, I'm going back to being a full-time fisherman because it was easier than following Jesus and not only growing in my own relationship, but growing others. But look at what Peter says. Keep in mind that this is the same man who dropped the ball so many times, was not elegant with words more often than not. I, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with His blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. He's grown exponentially. This is not the same man that Jesus first found fishing. Peter still understands this is what I'm called to. This is what I'm committed to. There were times in Peter's life that he did walk away, but that's not what Peter is doing now. He's saying we've been chosen by God by an almighty purpose. And Peter says what qualifies me and you to be chosen by God for this, he says it's just his grace. Meaning that God didn't choose you because of who you are. Hear me, church. God chose you in spite of who you are. And that's Peter's reality in this moment. And don't we all align with that? Like, I could have never earned this. I could have never earned to be used by God. I could have never earned to even have this desire. And, and yet here we are. And Peter never goes back to his career as a fisherman. He, he comes to grow and understand the beauty of committing oneself to Christ. And in this is this, you have to ask again, is this really the same man that we read about at the beginning of the Gospels? A drastic change has happened between this man who was found fishing, asking foolish questions at times, jumping to conclusions, making mistakes, and now at the center of who Peter is, now we see this strong, wise, driven by righteous conviction, bold Christian, and God uses him as an influential leader I don't know about you, but my prayer is that God would use me like that. That people would come to know me from my past and say, who's this guy? Anybody else? Growth took place in Peter's life because he desired to grow in Jesus and he put intentional effort into growing in Christ. And of course, with us, the Holy Spirit helps us with that. He committed himself to Jesus and he learned from his failures and mistakes, which leads me to my almost last point. A part of us growing is this. If you're going to grow, you and I aren't going to get it right all the time. We've got to be willing to, to understand something in this moment. That it means that we're going to think that we have convictions, that we're going to think that we're just in doing a certain action, and then after the fact, we come to realize that it was actually emotion tricking us. And we've got to learn this principle that Peter often learned. Fail forward. Some people, they fail backwards. When they experience failure, they return to the things that they're familiar with, the sinful tendencies, the things that once held them back. And yes, Peter went through that for a time being, but then there came a time where Peter stopped that. And you and I have got to be following Jesus in such a manner that we also stop returning to the things that once held us back. I mean, is this not the struggle of humanity? Think back to the Israelites. We had it better in slavery. No, you didn't. But that's how the devil tries to trip us up is if he can't get us to have, 
you know, some sort of huge catastrophic moral failure, he'll just try and get us to return to what's familiar with us. When Peter fails, he follows, there comes a point where he follows Jesus forward with a new lesson. He doesn't get held back by failure. He learns and moves forward. Would you do this with me? Would you try and and allow that truth to soak in your heart and ask the Lord, Jesus, when I fail, help me to fail forward and not bash myself and tear myself away from you. Call it quits. Help me to fail forward and learn and move forward. Amen, church? Let's look at some of the failures of Peter as we head towards our close and as the worship team makes their way forward. John chapter 18, verses 10 through 11. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. Come on, Peter! (sighs) Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink of the cup that the Father has given me? Of course, this happens when Jesus is being taken away. As Jesus is is heading to his crucifixion. And Peter, he's just, you got to admire the guy. I get it. He's like, no, you're not going to take my Lord and Savior. And some scholars believe that Peter had bad aim and intended to cut the head off and only got the ear. We'll see it on DVR when we get to heaven. And what is Peter's takeaway from this lesson? You have to understand, Peter thought that he was right. He had conviction. How could you go wrong with standing up for Jesus? And he does it in such an aggressive way that Peter learns this. Zeal for Jesus without discipline is still reckless. Zeal for Jesus without discipline is still reckless. It's like those Christians who hold the signs and tell everybody that they're going to hell and that God hates them. You just look and go, oh, what in the name of Peter? (laughs) Zeal for Jesus without discipline is reckless. That's why the fruit of the Spirit, one of them, is self-control. Earlier, Jesus told Peter that once he was taken, that Peter would deny him three times. And Peter, in this moment that precedes his failure of denying Jesus. He says this, Peter answered, listen to how arrogant this is. God bless him. Again, Peter represents you and I, by the way. So we're just going to move forward with love and understanding. But Peter answered him, though they all fall away because of you. He's talking about the other disciples. Though they, all of them, they're going to fall away from you. But I'm never going to fall away. You got me, Jesus. I know you said that John, you know, the one whom Jesus loved, but I'm coming after that title. It's going to say Peter, the one that Jesus loved. Because they're all going to fall away. But this guy right here, what has two thumbs and isn't falling away? This guy. And then Peter messes up. But what was so wrong about Peter saying these things? I'm never going to fall away, Jesus. They are. What's so wrong about this is that, one, he placed himself spiritually above others. That is self-righteousness. And I'm telling you, it's from the pit of hell because it causes just as much damage as sin. Any other sin, it causes self-righteousness. I'm telling you, church, it damages, I believe, more because often self-righteousness is rooted in the church. And Peter says he places himself spiritually above others. And, and, and maybe it's the fact that Jesus did spend time with Peter more so than others. Maybe that got to Peter's ego a little bit. Maybe he thought to himself, denying Jesus, that's what weak people do. I'm not that weak. I spend more time with him. 
Which leads us to the other failure of Peter. He felt that he was stronger than he was. How many of you have ever been there? And I think that I can relate to this because how many times have we thought to ourselves that we are beyond temptation only to discover that a new realm of God's grace because we thought that we were stronger than we actually were, which tempted us to rely on our own strength in that moment. And lastly, what's so wrong about this failure of, G, of, of Peter saying, I'll never leave you, is he thought he knew himself better than Jesus did. He looked at Jesus and said, I under, he denied what Jesus said. Jesus, I know I just heard you and you're, you know, uh, God in flesh and you got that going for you. But um, let me just tell you something real quick. I, w- I want you to learn from me just for this moment, Jesus, that I'm not falling away, okay? But thank God that the story doesn't end there. Thank God that that's not where Peter's growth stopped. Thank God that Jesus brought him back in just like he does you and I. Peter goes on to deny Jesus three times and just like Jesus said, but the story doesn't end there. Jesus redeems him. He confesses, Peter confesses his commitment to the Lord three times. Peter would grow from these failures and mistakes. And we see the lessons learned in various scriptures written by Peter, but specifically in first and second Peter, Peter would say this later in first Peter chapter five, verses five through six. And the same way you who are young, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with, can you believe Peter's about to use this word? Humility. I think that he knew one or two things about lessons in humility. In humility towards one another because how much did Peter struggle to write these next words down? God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. It just makes logical sense that through all the failures that we talked about in Peter's life, that the Holy Spirit would inspire him to write this scripture. And again, I have to ask the question, I wonder how difficult it was for Peter to write this scripture about humility down. Like, I cannot wait to watch this in heaven someday on the big screen. For those of you who don't know about the big screen, it's what our parents terrified us of when we were kids. All your sin is going to be on the big screen in heaven. but I can't wait to watch this. Did Peter sit back and as he felt the Holy Spirit prompt him to write about humility, did he just go, oh, you gotta be kidding me. Did he have a soft heart that said, well, now, Lord, that just makes sense. Church, lean into our mistakes. We all have to lean into our mistakes and fail forward. Jesus will teach us along the way. Would you stand with me? And ultimately we're taught this, when it comes to growing in Christ, trust the Lord of the harvest. He's in the business of growing people. Church, How about we commit ourselves to growing in Christ? Amen? Are you ready? I'm so glad that three of you are ready. We're going to... Are you ready to grow Harvest Church? Would you do this with me? Would you bow your heads? And if you're here today because you're like, you know, Pastor, I I don't just want to attend church. I want to grow. I just don't want to skate by in life. I want to know that my life mattered. I, I, want, to, I want that desire stirred up in me. And maybe you're, you're here today and you have desire, but you don't know what the next action step is. And friend, the next action step is committing yourself to following Jesus, whether it's serving here through Harvest Church or whether it's getting plugged into one of the ministries here, whether it's going out. Some of you, you, you have yet to tell someone else about Jesus and lead them in the sinner's prayer. And it's time for you to commit yourselves to that 
that action step. And, and, and if that's you here today and you're saying, Pastor, I, I, I'm ready to grow. I, I don't want religion. I want relationship. I, I want to move forward. I don't want failures to hold me back anymore. I don't want failure to have a hold on my life. I want to learn and grow in Jesus and fail forward. If that's you here today with every head bowed and every eye closed, would you just lift up your hands as a sign of surrender? And what we're surrendering ourselves to is the Lord of the harvest and his growth process. The same process that he brought Peter through that made Peter so unrecognizable from first and second Peter all the way back through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We we look at this man and say, God, you, you grew him so much. He went from fear and cowardly to boldness and proclaiming truth. He, he went from uncertainty and foolishness to, to wisdom and discernment. And if that's you here today and you're saying, Pastor, I, I, I want to grow in wisdom and discernment. If that's you, would you just continue to lift your hands up? And if you're here today and you feel like there's failures in your life and in church, maybe those failures have attempted to define you. I'm here to tell you today that Jesus breaks the bondage, any bondage, and he wants to take your failure story and turn it into his victory story. And so if that's you here today and there's failures and mistakes that are hanging over your head, would you just lift your hands up and just begin to say, Lord, I give you my failure. I give you my mistakes. All the times that I, that I didn't get it right, Lord Jesus, I, I'm ready to learn from them and move forward. In your own words, would you just begin to call on the Lord and say, God, I'm, I'm ready for a work to take place in my life. I'm ready to grow. I'm ready to commit myself to this. I'm ready. Would you stir up the desire in your own words, church? I can't call on the Lord for you. You've got to do it. I wish that I could. But ultimately, this is the responsibility of every person who desires to know Jesus and grow in Jesus. You've got to call on Him. Heavenly Father, I just pray over every person who raised their hands or wish they would have raised their hands that as we head towards the end of 2023 and we look forward to 2024, Lord, we're not waiting for January for our New Year's resolutions that bring about growth. We're starting them right now with your help. Whatever failures have been haunting people in this room, I pray, Lord Jesus, if it's relationship failures, that they would go back to those whom they hurt, and broke and that restoration would take place with your help and that the power that failure tries to have over us would just be broken god i pray that as we finish out 2023 that again it would be a launching pad into 2024 lord may you start the growth process because we recognize jesus that you use those who are committed to growing in you so would you have your way, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. One more time, I just feel prompted to ask this. Would you bow your heads one more time? And if you're here today, I want to ask you if you have a relationship with Jesus. Do you know him? Are you growing him? And do you have that purpose? Does your life have purpose? Do you have that confidence of saying, if I were to die here today, I not only know that I would spend eternity with Jesus, but, but I'm ready right here and right now to learn and to grow in a committed life to Jesus because I recognize that his way is better than my way. And just a moment. If that's you, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand and put it right back down. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to embarrass you, but friend, this is one of the most important decisions that you will ever make in your life because it will impact the rest of your life. If you're here today and you're ready to grow in Jesus, and the first step is that you know him. And so if that's you and, and you say, pastor, I want to commit my life to Christ. If that's you here today with every head bowed and every eye closed, would you just slip your hand up and put it right back down? I see your hands. I see your hands. You can put them right back down. Is there anyone else? Friend, I'm telling you, from this sanctuary to the parking lot, it becomes 10 times of a, of a longer walk when you're carrying regret. And it's unnecessary regret. And so if that's you, I just want to ask, I feel like there's still some here today and God's pointing you out right now. He's affirming that. He's saying, yeah, I, 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 you know what I'm calling you to do. 
So if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I'm ready to commit my life to Christ, one more time, if that's you, would you just slip your hand up? If you've already put your hand up, you can keep them down. If that's you, I see your hands. I see your hands. You can put them right back down. Is there anybody else? You say, I'm ready to commit my life to this this, this cause. And for those who raise their hands, I, I just want to just want to give you some guidance. I'm going to ask you to repeat a prayer after me. It's called a prayer of repentance, a prayer of salvation. It's the prayer that, that marks us as the first day that we put our trust in Jesus and accepted him as our savior and lived for him from, for, for him from this moment forward. And please understand that I'm going to ask you to repeat this prayer but it's not my words that make a difference. It's your heart. So if you mess up the words, it, it's all good. But likewise, if your heart isn't in it and you truly don't mean to repent, meaning turn away from your sin and apologize for your sin and put your trust in Jesus and fall in from this day forward, if that truly isn't your heart's intention, you could say this prayer thousands and thousands of times and it's not gonna do anything for you because he knows your heart. So without understanding, church, would you repeat after me so that we can join in with those who are praying this prayer for the first time? Say, dear Jesus, come on with some strength. Dear Jesus, would you come into my life and make me new? Forgive me of my sins, my failures, and my mistakes. I'm ready to live for you from this day forward. I put my trust my faith, my life into your hands. Have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you give it up for those who've prayed this for the first time? Amen, church. If you said that prayer for the first time and you truly mean to grow in this relationship, we have the perfect class that will help grow in this relationship with Jesus. And it's located on a QR code on the back of every seat. I challenge you, I dare you, double, triple dog dare you to scan that QR code and plug into the class that takes place on Wednesday nights. It's like four weeks and it's all about talking about growing in Jesus. Amen, church. Father, we thank you so much for the work that has already started here. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are in the business of growing us and transforming us into new creations. Lord, I pray that we would be a church committed to growing in you, not just numerically, but that we would commit our spiritual life, our hearts, our intentions, our desires into your hands. Have your way. And I pray that someday we would look back on this day in November, Lord Jesus, as the day that you launched us into seasons of growing closer in you, close to you, Lord, that, that we never could have imagined. I pray that your anointing would just flow, not just upon every believer here today, but through every believer here in this room and even on our live stream service joining us here this morning, Lord. Have your way, Lord of the harvest. We ask in Jesus' precious and holy name. And everybody said, and if you believe God's going to do it, would you give him one more shout of praise? Amen. Amen. God bless, God bless you. As you go with the Lord, he's going with you. This has been an audio recording from Harvest Church. If you'd like to know more about Harvest Church or get connected, please visit us online at myharvestchurch.com or email us at info at myharvestchurch.com. We would love to hear from you.